Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch new episodes of Grey's Anatomy Thursdays at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. There is news on the uh, on the front as far as ISIS is concerned and Stuart Bell, who's just an amazing reporter on issues of national security and terrorism uh, for Global News. Stuart has a story out. It came out yesterday. Canadian captured in Syria admits to role in gruesome ISIS execution videos. The Canadian captured in northern Syria last month has admitted he helped produce ISIS propaganda videos that showed prisoners digging their own graves and being executed, according to a local source. Mohammed Abdullah Mohammed, who was detained by the U.S.-backed Syrian Democratic Forces January 13, acknowledged his role in the ISIS videos, Flames of War and Flames of War II, according to the, I'm not sure how to pronounce this, the Rojava or Rojava Information Center. So uh, Scott Newark joins us on the program, and our good friend, uh, former Alberta Crown Prosecutor, Executive Officer for the Canadian Police Association, also was Vice Chair of the Ontario Office for Victims of Crime, Director of the Operations for the Investigative Project on Terrorism, and a Security Policy Advisor to the Governments of Ontario and Canada, and uh, Adjunct Professor at Simon Fraser University. So uh, there was speculation about this individual, and it appears now we know more. Yeah, and it's uh, just further confirmation that uh, the reality that uh, Stewart exposed uh, months ago is uh, still there, and frankly, the Canadian government has still uh, really taken no action. Uh, you know, this is a reality that uh, countries around the world, Western countries around the world, are going to have to come to grips with, uh, which is how... Uh, they uh, deal with the uh, unfortunate circumstance of people from their country that have gone over into Iraq or Syria or even other jurisdictions to engage in Islamist jihad and who've now been captured. And the situation is getting more um, serious, of course, because uh, the Kurds were the ones uh, who have essentially done most of the uh, the, the work in uh, fighting these uh, terrorists, and they've ultimately captured them, but the Kurds are pulling back into their own territory. Uh, they've got, um, you know, hundreds of these people in custody who they've identified as being from uh, different uh, countries uh, in the Western world. It includes both terrorism fighters, but as well their uh, wives and children. The, uh, uh, the jihadis are being held in uh, secure lockup. The families are being held in secure camps. And you know, countries that, and the and the Kurds are are openly saying, like, you know, come and get your people, do something. But, you know, we're leaving, and at some point, um, you know, we may just happen to open the door and uh, let these people go, or hand them over to the Syrians, or we don't know. And the uh, current Canadian government has been pressed on this. Uh, you remember, you uh, you may remember there was even a motion in the House of Commons uh, calling them to identify, calling on the government to identify its strategy. And it was all just blather and, you know, nothing specific. I wrote a piece for 
both Frontline Security and the McDonnell Lorry Institute about the need to develop a policy with some specific recommendations because this is a reality that's not uh, just going to simply go away. And even most recently, that guy that uh, you used to caddy for, remember what was his name? Oh, yeah, right, Donald Trump. Um, (laughs) Trump actually just recently issued a statement calling on Western countries to take their people back to prosecute them to do whatever is necessary. France has agreed to start to do it. Russia has done it. The British are still dithering as well, too. And Canada's not doing anything either. And we're going to need to take some action because this is not going away. We also had uh, our Prime Minister say, not so long ago, that returning ISIS members could, and I'm paraphrasing, could contribute uh, tremendously to uh, you know, to getting the uh, the situation under control. They, uh, I have no idea what he was... What well, he was. you know what, though? I mean, in all fairness, I mean, I grant you it was a, not a very well-articulated statement, but it emphasizes the fact that this is not a one-size-fits-all uh, well, it problem. looks like we have no size. Well, that's my, yes, that's my point, is that we're not doing it. Personally, I think what we should do is, uh, number one, help the uh, Kurds in uh, providing them with some funding uh, for all of what uh, they have been doing. Uh, I think we've got the identification is I think we're at seven or eight identified actual uh, Islamist jihadis that are in custody. Why don't we get them to prosecute them under their own laws with an understanding that we will uh, sign an agreement under the International Transfer Offenders Act with them, just like we did with Omar Khadr, but they'll get a sentence and they'll get a trial and they'll, uh, we can then bring them back and they will then be convicted to serve their sentence here because the, the main operational challenge, Roy, is the fact of how we are going to convert what information may be available into admissible evidence in criminal proceedings in Canada. And added to that is the fact that not all of these people are necessarily uh, people who should be subject to criminal prosecution, although there was also some disturbing revelations from some of these, uh, you know, wives that are over there. The one woman who, I think it was last week, reported that, you know, um, she doesn't really have any regrets and she's going to follow Sharia law wherever it is. Um, So, you know, what's the big deal? How come she can't come back to Canada? She has three kids. Is that the the kind of person that should be raising children in Canada? You see what I'm getting at here, though, is that there's just a whole breadth of complexity and you've got to use all the different tools. But I don't think what we're currently doing, our strategy appears to be, uh, you know, hoping the problem will go away, is an effective strategy. Let me drag the borders in a little bit here. There is, uh, it, it is a violation of criminal law in this country if you leave Canada as a yes. Canadian citizen to go overseas and join a terrorist organization, right? Yes, the that's, conservatives that's, brought that in, yes. Yeah, so that's a law. There's also a concern, I want to go back to what the prime minister said, there is a concern when the, the leader of the country, when the prime minister makes a statement, any statement, but when, he's, when he effectively says that returning terrorists can contribute to Canadian society, that concerns me. I don't care how he phrases it, that when the prime minister of the country says that, there's an impact, there's a response, there's maybe even a responsibility. And, and this is the same prime minister, Scott, I'm going to remind you, who in 2015 said that convicted terrorists would get to keep their Canadian citizenship. There, I'm, I'm, there are questions I would like to ask Mr. Trudeau that I feel, based on the statements he's made, he has an obligation to answer. 
Well, and this is not the only issue, security-related issue, is it, uh, where his statements have potentially caused problems. Look at the uh, illegal border crossers. Well, exactly. You know, you're, you, you're right. It's, uh, this is a complex issue, and it requires some understanding as opposed to just some sort of a flippant uh, remark. Yeah. Now, we also have the story of the woman who oh, yeah. is an ISIS supporter and uh, got violent at a Canadian tire store in the Toronto area. She's been sentenced to seven years. I'm asking you about this because sentencing uh, is establishing precedent. Is is this anything, is, is this going to be sort of a benchmark for for um, some ISIS-related attacks. I mean, some people find it kind of giggly that she attacked folks in a Canadian tire store. I don't find that entertaining or funny at all. Yeah. No, I, I don't think so. Uh, as, as we have discussed over the years, the perhaps um, uh, most uh, fundamental principle of our criminal justice system is that it deals with this offender, this offense. Uh, this is a person who had some significant uh, mental health issues that was identified and accepted even by the Crown as well, too, and that it was relevant to what it is that she actually did, which was uh, not particularly sophisticated. Uh, Two things that really strike me about this case, uh, however, uh, uh, she was uh, uh, convicted of a series of charges in relation to the attack at the Canadian Tire Store, which was in, uh, I believe, June of 2017. But she was also convicted of exactly what you were speaking of previously, which is that offense under the criminal code of leaving Canada to join a terrorist or support a terrorist uh, group uh, in, the, um, uh, in Syria. And that was in April of 2016. And one of her family members was concerned about what she was doing and alerted authorities. Uh, she went, as is all, you know, was, the, was and is the, the normal case. The, the bad guys go through Turkey, of course who pretend that they're, uh, you know, concerned about this. Uh, she was detained. She was not allowed into the country, and she was sent back to Canada, where she was met by the RCMP. But they did nothing. They laid no charges. They didn't bring a peace bond. And then, you know, a year later, she's involved in uh, this attack. So I hope somebody, maybe, maybe our new parliamentary uh, committee of... National Security and Intelligence uh, asks uh, some questions about this. Like, this feels to me like that politically correct RCMP management about things mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, somebody should be asking them, why was there not some kind of intervention in this? Yeah, we're caught up in the paralysis of analysis. Um, I'm afraid I think it's something more serious at some of the senior levels of the uh, uh, RCMP with the politicization of these issues that, you know, if they actually uh, charged her, oh, well, you know, uh, might we uh, be accused of, uh, you know, being uh, Islamophobic? And do we actually have the evidence? And uh, maybe somebody might ask us, well, how come she got out of the country in the first place? Weren't you guys, you know, monitoring her? So uh, so do damage control before the damage has taken place. Well, that, that, is, that is the real point of this stuff, is that you, when you do these case reviews, you don't want to do them as finger-pointing exercises. You want to do them as lessons learned so that these kinds of things don't happen in the future. You know, fundamentally, the important matter is, the important issue is, is to safeguard this country and people yes. in this country. That's yes. the responsibility, ultimately, of, of, uh, of our well, security and forces thing, and our government. The other thing to keep in mind about this case is that, uh, okay, she was sentenced to seven years. This is Canada. 
Okay, so that means, first of all, the net effect of the uh, of the real census that she got apparently is four and a half years because she was in custody following the attack, and so the judge gave her pretrial custody credit. I happen to find that okay in this case because she wasn't denied bail because of a past criminal record. It was because of the charge being laid. So that's approximately four and a half years, uh, which in Canada you're eligible for parole at uh, uh, one-third. So uh, 18 months plus uh, day parole, six months in advance of that. So she's eligible for day parole in one year. That's amazing, isn't it? What a system. Just so we're clear. What a system. What a system. And and you remember, and I have to take a break here, but you remember about a year ago we were talking about that the, 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 the Brits, the Americans, the Australians, the French, had sent their special forces over to the Middle East, to Syria and Iraq, with orders to shoot and kill uh, any ISIS members they found. In, in fact, the British Special Forces Unit, the SAS, Special Air Services, their commander told them, this is the most important mission in the 70-year history of this regiment. So you, you, you've got things coming at you from all different directions as far as what governments do or say or don't do, and, and we're left with questions. So one question I have for you, I have several questions for you, but one I have for you is uh, about what happened to the Supreme Court uh, this past week where a former teacher in London oh, yeah was found guilty of, they're calling it in-school voyeurism. I call it, say it's a lot worse than that. So he's been found guilty. What, what, what just bothers the hell out of me is that any court would have found him not guilty. All right, just looking at the, uh, the, this news story, and I, uh, um, London Free Pass uh, wrote, the Supreme Court of Canada has overturned an acquittal given to a former Beale teacher who secretly took videos of female students' upper bodies with a pen camera. Uh, he's 41 years of age. His name is Ryan Jarvis. He was convicted of voyeurism. And the Supreme Court said that privacy issues under the law, quote, should be interpreted with regard to personal autonomy and sexual integrity. A previous judge had said he wasn't convinced the videos found in Jarvis on Jarvis's computer were for a sexual purpose, so he found him not guilty. Supreme Court overturned it. Scott New York, what are your what do you make of this? What's going on here? Let's get the Scotty up here. Go ahead, Scott. Yeah, the history. This um, section of the criminal code that was amended at the uh, original idea of that came from the uh, little office that I was involved in, the Office of Victims of Crime, when a brilliant uh, lady uh, came and uh, came forward with some suggestions about this that it was a problem, and we put it together. And it was uh, presented to the feds by then Minister Bob Runciman. Um, and just so you're clear, uh, you've described that this guy was a teacher. Uh, obviously, I believe the correct uh, legal term is creep. And um, cockroach. He was taking uh, uh, pictures of these young girls' uh, breasts, uh, upper body area, uh, with a pen that they didn't know had a camera in it. Uh, the first, ju- I think there was 27 separate counts of this because uh, they, they found all of the, uh, the evidence. Uh, the first judge, believe it or not, as you say, didn't think that there was evidence sufficient to show that it was done for a sexual purpose. Uh, Just makes your, makes your head spin. Your head shake. That, that ruling was appealed by the Crown, and the Ontario Court of Appeal said, that's, you know, that's wrong. It obviously was for sexual purpose. But they then said, 
that because it was in a the location of where it was done in a school which had cameras meant that there was not that expectation of privacy that was required and that is really the important part of the supreme court ruling because they said of course it was for sexual purpose and then they also said uh, that and I think this is what is going to be really important with this ruling because it kind of have applications uh, going forward on other kinds of issues because they they stressed the impact of privacy in today's world and listed a whole bunch of different criteria that should be considered in relation to it and uh, correctly in my opinion concluded that um, this met the circumstances where you know the privacy meant that these uh, students were entitled not to think that somebody was taking pictures of their upper body, and so they found him guilty and have sent him uh, back, I believe, for uh, sentencing. Well, good the Supreme Court uh, did they what it did. Finally got one right. Finally got one right. They must have, they must have been shaking their heads. Uh, who knows? Who knows? I have 30 well, seconds. I just very quickly on the um, uh, rehab uh, Dagmush case that we were speaking of, the woman, the terrorist. At yes, the, uh, yeah. Just one quick point. Uh, she is not a Canadian citizen. She's a Syrian. So uh, we got, like, what, four and a half years to go? Let's get the deportation uh, papers ready and have them so that we can remove her from this country. Good idea. Good idea. Are you listening, Mr. Goodell? Uh, 30 seconds. Remind us, please, of the importance of an Amber Alert. There were yeah. people who were complaining the other night. Yeah. The, the, let me just focus on, on why it's a good idea. Uh, when these kinds of abductions occur, the sooner you are able to uh, get some kind of law enforcement presence, uh, the more important it is for the safety of the person that's been abducted. Because these bad guys, and you think about what uh, Joe Fredericks did to Christopher Stevenson, it's exactly the same thing. These bad guys do this bad thing, and they also then realize, I'm in big trouble now. It increases the likelihood that they may kill the person that they have abused. Okay. And so the sooner law enforcement is able to actually get and find the victim, the better the chances of saving their lives. Scott, thank you for the time, as always. Scott, Scott Newark. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.